Hello everybody and welcome to Into the Prey, Breaching the Chaos of the Church, your regular weekly podcast with Nick and Mary Franks. Oh no. <laughs> I'm just joking. That's that's what it would sound like if we were... Don't mention any particular nationalities. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're in this series um, called Eschatology Explained, as mentioned previously, and we we did a first session a couple of weeks ago. Um, with an overview, didn't we, of, the, of yeah. the three main eschatological positions. And hopefully that was helpful to some extent, although, um, yeah, we're aware just that most of, most of you listening will have some awareness of this. We wanted to take the second episode today. And again, just it's worth repeating that we're taking Q&A on this. We're, we're kind of developing a slightly um, more private, well, it's a, it's a kind of private area on our Patreon page. If you want to be part of that, then the show notes will have links for um, for ways of getting involved, basically. We're doing private podcasts for the supporters, the, the team of supporters that we have so that we can um, develop this and have follow-ups and Q&A and that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> I think that's a good idea. Yes, definitely. What are we talking about today? So um, in this episode which is going to follow on from the first one, so it's really worth listening to that if you haven't already. Um, we want to particularly look at one part of one of the main views. So our three main views are pre, post, and... What's the other one? I'm, I'm letting you flounder just to see how you get <laughs> My on. My mind has gone completely blank. Pre-millennial, post-millennial, a-millennial. There we go. So today we're going to look at um, pre-millennial, but we want to specifically look at the dispensational view of pre-millennialism. Now, the main purpose of this today is to actually eliminate this view from the continued discussion. Um, looking at the three other main perspectives, these ones we really think are worth prayerfully considering and are worth a lot of discussion um, but this one falls into a category of its own and we basically want to use this episode today to explain why we think this particular view is worth just saying we don't need to look at it, we can get rid of it now and here's why. Mm. Um, so that's really what we want to do in this episode before moving on to the other three main ones that we'll continue to do in the next sessions. Yeah, and wanting perhaps wanting to put a slightly finer point on it, we, although we're saying that pre post and a millennial are millennial um they're within those three positions there will be error there will there will be error and it just it just strikes me now thinking about this again that the the error there's there's generally i would say two types of error theological doctrinal teaching error in the church one is knowing deliberate and the other one is not deliberate or unknowing you know, there's a big difference between somebody that's deceiving somebody deliberately and somebody that's de deceiving somebody. And as serious as though that is, they themselves are deceived, they themselves have been misled, they themselves have received something that's faulty and, and so on and so forth. And I think that's the distinction is that pre-post and amillennialism can't all be right. And I think there will be a point in history where that becomes much clearer. And I think as we've touched on, there'll be a, there'll be a, a process of public repentance from particular groups, churches, whatever, who have followed, and it will become clearer. You know, I think thinking of post-millennialism particularly, if post-millennialism is true, 
that should, as the decades roll on, that should become clearer. Yeah. And, yeah. and vice versa. What we're saying with, with um, pre-mill pre dispensationalism as opposed to pre-mill um, Historic. historic historicism um, is that we think dispensational this dispensational stuff is just deliberately deceptive. It's 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 different. It, we mm. can say for sure that this is error. We can say for sure that this doesn't, you know? I, yeah. And I think that's the point we're making is that, you know, we're wading through here, through stuff that, um, through error. Yeah, and it, you know, it takes time to do this. It's not, I think, a default position of the church for quite a long time has been just to kind of accept whatever position you're handed down with or to not really consider our own understanding of why we believe what we believe. And it's important to be able to come to this topic <laughs> as much as we can objectively and to be able to look at what the Bible says and to be able to listen to people who know what they're talking about. So we're going to mention... Um, one particular person in this podcast today and taking the time to really hear these people out is important because they know they know stuff that you know I don't I don't read Greek so having been most able people to, don't read <laughs> Greek so being able to listen to people who are able to understand the importance of the language and all these types of things are not insignificant and like anything anytime we come to a different topic making the point that being willing to to put a little bit of effort in to read and to study and to think about these things prayerfully is really important. And it's probably worth saying now as well, this is not, um, we're not going to be able to cover in any of these topics in depth in the way that is needed in order to, to understand any of these topics well. You know, that takes um, your own time and effort to do as well. So it's probably worth mentioning that as well now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's also worth mentioning that in calling this out, in, in saying that we don't believe that premillennial dispensationalism is even worth thinking about, or it's worth thinking about, and that's why we've done this, and hopefully this is a help for you listening. But it's not worth the time weighing up in terms of considering as a, as a legitimate eschatology that's faithful, biblically or, you know. Mm -hmm. um, our desire in doing this is that people come to a knowledge of the truth. And, of course, we're speaking this morning from the context in which vast amounts of the church aren't faithful and it stands to reason that there are therefore you know vast amounts of theology that aren't faithful that isn't faithful um just just as quickly as, a, as an aside if you've not read my piece on 2 timothy an open letter to the church you can find that very easily from the writing column on firebrand notes just go ahead and read that it's a it's a a very carefully worked through study of 2 Timothy over the course of maybe two or three days it took me to to think and pray and write that to draw attention to this. But the point is that we want people to not be deceived. That's the whole point of this. And so if you're listening to this this morning and you are a proponent of premillennial dispensationalism, our desire isn't to say, hey, you're a heretic, you're the Antichrist. It's to say you're most likely a brother or sister in Christ and we don't want you to be deceived by the faulty systems and the faulty um, inheritances spiritually that have most likely been handed down to you. You know, mm -hmm. this is, of course, we're, we're speaking into a global audience this morning that's UK, um, Western, but also American, you know, and there's a difference between evangelical Americans and evangelical Brits when mm -hmm. it comes to this issue. You know, vast yeah. sways, whatever percentage it is, 
of American evangelicals who believe that pre pre mill dispensationalism is true. It's it's a frightening, weighty moment in history to be having this conversation. Mm-hmm. So, but our desire is that people change their mind. Our desire is that people review what it is that they believe and why it is mm-hmm. that they believe what they believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we should say at the beginning as well that we do, we don't know enough about this either. Um, we are recognising our own lack of understanding in this particular topic because of our own upbringing in certain church backgrounds yeah. as our p- place in the UK church where yeah. a lot of it has less emphasis on this maybe than other churches in different countries. So we're coming at it from um, recognising that we don't really understand this topic in the way that we should and that's what we're doing now. While we lean towards yeah. a certain aspect of this at the moment, we're wanting to approach as best we can, thinking all we want to know is truth. If we're if we're too concerned about having our own view yeah. held up, we're approaching it incorrectly. Exactly, exactly, and that's a huge, huge thing that many people struggle with. If 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 this is if we're talking about fruit in keeping with repentance, whether it's recognizing that we've not been proactive enough with the gospel, taking the gospel proactively, you know. You know, we are at base camp mm-hmm. and that's that's where the church need to be for, and wo- and be prepared and willing to be for decades. Mm-hmm. Base camp, mm-hmm. repentance, on our knees, learning, recognizing that we've gone, th- you know, that we've just spent decades and for some people lifetimes going through stuff, which is just not faithful. Mm-hmm. So we coming to it with that attitude of the, the, the most longing the, the, the strongest longing here is what is true, mm-hmm. not not reinforcing what we've always thought is most likely to be true. It's God, what 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 is true here? Um, we don't want to be swept away, you know. Mm-hmm. And this might be a good moment to maybe mention that email that you received, just as a you know a real example of how this tends to play out. Okay, well, well just quickly because I was just about to say that we want to keep this relatively brief today, and we're going to rattle. We've we've prepared this. Um, so we'll we'll move through it quite quickly. But somebody had emailed me recently, and they'll remain anonymous. But and if you're listening again, this isn't to make you feel bad. This isn't to have a go at you. It's to, it's to use this interaction as a, as a classic example of of where the church are floundering in immaturity. And I'm not pulling my punches. It was immature. And what I'm about to tell you, hopefully, will um, for, for those of you listening will be obviously immature and if it is if you are listening if, if you're the person please i hope that you'll have reflected on this now person had emailed me and they'd wanted me to see an article that they'd written they'd been invited by a well-known mainstream um prophetic organization who i've increasingly got very little time or respect for quite frankly um they'd written to me and said hey i've been approached by these people to write an article about eschatology because they're going through a process of gathering up a whole bunch of different reviews do you want to take a look this is my offering so of course it took me a week or whatever to 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 have time to do that but I did read the article and long story short the article the position of the person who'd written this was arguing for a mid-rapture sorry mid-tribulation rapture so in a sense was a variant of what we're mm-hmm. chucking out today, a variant of pre-mill dispensationalism. And because of what you've just said, Sweet, we're not, we're at ground zero. We're at base camp with this in terms of 
forming through rigorous biblical inquiry, which I'll touch on in a minute in, as part of this little anecdote, because that's often a, um, a linchpin that people have. It's a false linchpin, you know, their own biblical inquiry. How, ca- how can we move beyond just our subjective biblical inquiry, whether rigorous or not? I'll come back to that in a minute. But anyway, this person wanted me to, and I, I you know, I just, I just replied from our base camp, which is to say, we're in the process of doing our own studies on this, but we don't believe, basically, we don't believe in any kind of pre-trib or mid-trib rapture. We don't believe that's consistent with how we read the the whole Bible. <laughs> and the point that you, I think, you're making, sweet, is that the response to me saying that, and I, and I was actually quite careful. I didn't want to get into an in-depth. I was very kind of relational. I was asking how else, how was the person getting on aside from all of this? And but the moment that I, re, the moment that I said that, the moment that I indicated that I didn't believe that their position or any position like this of a pre-trib rapture was faithful to scripture, that person felt persecuted. That person felt opposed. And it was okay because God had already showed that person in advance that the things that God had given them to write and the the things that God had given them to defend were going to be opposed and were going to be rejected. You know, it's this kind of martyrs complex that which, of course, is true, you know, mm. and for the church in, who will endure the things that are coming upon the earth, that will be very true. But there's also f- fake versions of that, you know, and that's what was going on, I think, with this person is this sense of oh, somehow I'm a martyr because you don't you don't believe with me in the things that the Holy Spirit has revealed to me through my own rigorous personal study. And you just need to trust me that the Holy Spirit has shown me. And that was the point. Mm. I went back. You, this this appeal to personal subjective revelation is the red flag mm-hmm. that particularly for conservative evangelicals will send them running for the hills. This this whole thing of, well, regardless of what the scriptures are saying, I've just had this personal eight-year period of personal study and I just this is this is what I'm basing my conviction on. It's not good enough. No. You know, it's 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 just, just gross immaturity. And so the email exchanges descended very quickly, and I had to say to the person, look, if you if you don't want me to tell you what I think of your position biblically, then don't write to me asking for me to look at it. Yeah, are you actually wanting to have a discussion about it? Do you actually want, are we willing to to go to a place and ask that question in in the real reality that we might be wrong or we might have not thought about it from a different perspective or yeah. we've missed a bit of scripture? Or yeah. Does this actually make sense in light of X, Y, and Z? So... Again, it comes back to, I think, the question that we just we need to keep at the forefront is, are we really after truth? You know, mm-hmm. above everything, above our own preferences, above our own understanding of things, are we willing to approach and really just ask God to show us what is real truth? Mm-hmm. And I have to just say on that very quickly, because I don't want to get distracted by this too much, is the point you just made a minute ago that you don't read Greek, neither do I, neither do most people listening to us, is that the the person in question who'd written this post appealing for their for a, a, a mid trib a mid trib rapture is that it was very very i don't know how to describe it it wasn't scholarly let me put it that way that's the most gracious way i can put yeah. it it wasn't scholarly it wasn't i wouldn't even say particularly scriptural in you know like using dictionary definitions for certain words like what? What does tribulation mean? Well, this is what the Oxford English Dictionary says, and then basing everything that's said on that. You know, mm-hmm. it just it, there was nothing of substance 
to it. And I, and I think that's the, that's the other thing that's really important is that some of us just aren't capable of scholarly inquiry, which is which is why there's a need for a, a kind of, I think, a plurality of scholarship across the church that's not compartmentalized to just denominations mm. who have their own biases and, dare I say, their own idolatries, you know? There's a, there's a need for for that, you know, not everybody is gifted. Mm. Had, no, not every, And maybe some of you listening to that need to know that. It's like you won't, God doesn't expect us all to have the tools in our tool bag to be able to produce an article on eschatology on any position that is sufficiently robust scripturally to hold up in a court of law do you know what i mean yeah. not when and and when and when you when you kind of read things that people have written like that it's like x factor you know people up on the stage and their parents and their parents their grandparents have said hey you're an amazing singer but when they get up on the platform with a microphone it's it's obvious to the entire watching <laughs> world that they're not very good at singing and the best thing that somebody is just say hey listen Maybe just that's not your strength. You just need to know that it's okay. You're not going to be Celine Dion or Leona Lewis or Noel Gallagher. <laughs> you know, I think that's important. Yeah, and that maybe will come out more in the weeks ahead as we as we begin to make suggestions about how it is we each of us with our own limitations and skills and whatever can come to a place of bottoming this out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, before going into any little bits about why we don't think this is a valid view it's worth just recapping quickly what the view tends to in, to involve hmm. um, so let's go through this quickly really quickly so just a few key points that will come out from people who believe in dispensational premillennialism it's very Israel based so very Zionist that is the main view there will be a physical earthly kingdom, an actual antichrist as a singular person who will appear, the seven-year tribulation, um, and the church will be raptured prior to the tribulation, or as we've mentioned from this mid-tribulation rapture at some point, maybe within the tribulation. Halfway through the yeah. seven years or something. Now, the distinctions to be made with historic premillennialism, they overlap in many areas things to do with the physical earthly kingdom, the tribulation, um, less Israel-focused, and there's no rapture that will take place. So the rapture happens after the tribulation at Jesus' return. Mm -hmm. So that's the main distinction to be made between these two points before moving further forward. As with all these things, there's lots of variations within each of these. This is Mm -hmm. just a kind of general brushstroke overview, um, just to give a quick recap of that. Yeah, I think that's helpful. Sweet, thank you. And, and just to say on that very quickly, because it may have just washed over the first point about being it very Israel-focused or Zionist, is the difference between that and what we believe, at, currently at least, to be the case, well, not currently on this issue, we, we're rejecting this because we see the, the truth and the folly of it, is, is, to, is to make this point, of course, that Israel, there is a centrality of Israel mm-hmm. in the whole of scripture and specifically the end times as world history wraps up, as the church history wraps up. Because, you know, in one sense, everything will revolve around the city of Jerusalem. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I think when we heard someone speaking on this recently that was quite helpful, made the distinction that, that scripture or prophecy, biblical prophecy is a 
about Jesus. It's not about yeah. Israel. Yeah. You know, ultimately, it's about Jesus. It's not about Israel. And I think that's probably quite a helpful way of thinking about what makes what's a healthy, faithful scriptural mm-hmm. understanding of the place of Israel in this, the nation, the people of mm-hmm. Israel, and uh, deception. Basically, mm-hmm. does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. If it, um, in other words, if if if, if the prophecy interpreted doesn't isn't about Jesus, if it's all about Israel, there is a it's a bit bad. There's, there's a yeah. huge problem. Yeah, definitely. Um, right. So obviously for this, it's important to pull out a few reasons why we think that this view isn't valid based on a bit of reading and a bit of research about this view. So we'll just go through a few different items um, from this. As with it, you can go, you can deep dive into this topic and find lots of other things, lots of detail, lots of other scriptures, lots of other passages. We've just picked out a few that are some of the big things that come out and I think really help to underline why this view isn't... Um, it, should, it shouldn't be a difficult sh- yeah. conclusion to come to, yeah. So, um, first of all, historically speaking, it's worth looking at where the view comes from. Mm. So, this particular predispensational view is not found amongst the early church fathers, amongst the early church. This is not an old historical view that has been held for a long time, Mm -hmm. unlike the other views that we'll come to. So that's one first main distinction to be made. And And that that is literally the difference between uh, 2,000 years and... A couple of hundred. A couple of hundred. Do you want to give that exact... So the first real view the the kind of first person to have really held on to this view um unambiguously would be John Darby who dates from the period of 1830 and he really was the main proponent of this view um which he took forward and was actually he was part of the Plymouth Brethren in England and that view he took out stateside and it really kind of went forward from there but that's really the era that this view comes from. And he was really, he he put a lot of emphasis on, on different parts of it, the kind of the gap between the 69th and the 70th week in Daniel and all of that. Which, um, which is worth looking into. It is, because yeah. it really helps to, to bring it to life. But again, this is just an area that you could look at yourself. And just to give folk a, a reference on that, excuse the pun, is the, the Schofield Reference Bible that, yeah. that he was a basically a... a you know, he 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 made Schofield happen. held to this view as well. Yeah. And, you know, if you look at a little bit about the Schofield Bible, there were revisions that were made to it to make it more Zionist, all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. those are all worth thing, things that that point to using things to uphold your view mm-hmm. rather than going to scripture for it to shed light on something. Yeah, and not only that, but this again, this this explains why this form of eschatology, pre-mill dispensationalism, is so ingrained in so much of the church yeah. psyche globally within evangelicalism. Yeah. The Schofield Reference Bible I grew up thinking was was sound, and of course, and it a, will be in as a trans- yeah. as a translation. Uh, you know, it yeah. will, but but it's it's a translation which is, um, what's the word? Seasoned with this eschatology, mm-hmm. which is that we're not going to be here on the earth. You know um, how yeah. how is that then not going to have ramifications yeah. throughout the rest of the the, the 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 translation or indeed studying from that? You yeah. know, mm-hmm. yeah, it leans. Yeah, it, it, if you've got a Schofield reference Bible, maybe you didn't realise that that it was 
essentially hijacked by J.N. Darby in the mid-19th century to drill into main evangelical thought that there's, there's, the church aren't going to be here during the tribulation. Yeah. Maybe you didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't know that, what kind of strategy does that sound like? Yeah. Sounds like a satanic, demonic strategy to it me. Sounds like deception, definitely. There's also a really kind of odd link with uh, a girl from Scotland called Margaret MacDonald that there's a, a bit more... It's not as certain anyway, but there's certainly some kind of link that's made between John Darby, his understanding Mm. of this, some kind of odd vision experience with this young girl in Scotland as well, which all in all just sounds odd, like, you know, deceptive, not right. Occultic type (laughs) stuff. Yeah. Do you want to just explain something on that? Because just briefly, what was that all about? Because people won't, won't understand that. It was... It's a little bit like the Catholic stuff with Marian apparitions in Spain in 1960s, some kind of evidently spiritual... Experience that this girl had. And and because it was spiritual, therefore, it can't possibly be fake. It's like, well... Well, of course, yeah. I mean, it was obviously a real experience, but that doesn't mean that it was a God experience. It's from God, yeah. Which, what spirit? So, and I think these types of things where you take the experience, subjective experience of someone else and use that to inform how Mm -hmm. you interpret the Bible, there's something that that's just wrong. And it Mm -hmm. goes back to what you were saying Mm -hmm. earlier. It's like we go to scripture to understand what God says about something. We don't go to personal subjective experience. Yeah, and it's particularly a red flag where the moment you begin to press somebody on their own personally revealed subjective experience... You you suddenly have a, div, a um, in the case of this person I was referencing, it was clearly there was no there was no amicable, mm-hmm. you know, mutually respectful, mutually loving, brotherly, sisterly, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that goes out the window yeah. because you've touched the holy grail mm-hmm. of their own personal subjective position. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a red flag, you know. It is. So it all comes back to the Glaswegians. <laughs> Here, you can't blame the Scots for everything. You can blame us for lots of stuff. <laughs> what was the what was the girl's name? Margaret MacDonald. Margaret MacDonald. <laughs> so, um so that is the where the view came from, um, in a nutshell. In part. In yeah. part, yeah. And so it's important to look at some of the we wanted to pick out a couple of main scriptures that are regularly brought up by mm. people who hold to this view because Chestnuts. it's important to to consider these, to think about what they mean in context and to try and understand, you know, have we misunderstood something or are we just not, you know, can we can we really interpret it in this way or is there another way of looking at these bits of scripture? So, And this can be for people's notes to go away and look at. Yeah, you know. so Matthew 24 is obviously a really important part of scripture when it comes to studying eschatology because these are Jesus' words he is informing his disciples and us of what it means, what things will look like when the end times come. And of course, one of the big parts that's taken out of here is where, you know, two women are together in a field or in the mill or whatever, and one is taken and the other is left, or, and two men are in the field and one is taken and the other mm-hmm. is left. Um, and, that, you know, that's a really big one that has informed a lot of the books that we talked about before mm-hmm. where people are just suddenly going to vanish off the face P- of the earth. Piles of clothes and, everywhere. Yeah, yeah, like teeth and whatever else are left. All, all, the, all the faithful Christians who've got lo- lovely clothes and fake teeth Gone. and piles of clothes and teeth. <laughs> um, and so it's important to look at this passage of Scripture and remember that at this point, Jesus isn't, 
he's using a parable, isn't he? He's using an example of something. He's not he's not giving teaching as he is in the other sections. Mm. And the example of Noah and the flood is important to go back and look at because that's the example that he's using. So when you go back to Genesis and you look at this particular passage of scripture, he's he's making a link between those who were taken away Mm -hmm. and those who weren't. Mm -hmm. So those who were swept away with the flood, i.e. taken, what they're interpreting as the rapture, Mm -hmm. are not actually the faithful who would have been Noah. Mm -hmm. It's those who were swept away in the flood, Mm -hmm. who were unable to stand in the flood. Mm -hmm. They were taken. Mm -hmm. So it's actually the reverse Mm -hmm. of what people who hold to this view understand it as, Mm -hmm. rather than the faithful being swept away. Mm -hmm. It's the opposite. Yeah. Well, that's certainly for drilling down into, isn't it? It is. And I think it's a really interesting... It's an interesting thing to look at when you're when you're reading any book in the Bible or when you're listening to any of Jesus' words, what type of literature is it? Mm-hmm. Because you can't interpret a parable the same as teaching mm-hmm. or the law the same as... Prophetic revelation. Yes, yeah. they're all different. So you have to go to something and you have to ask what type of literature is this and from that point Mm -hmm. you can then start interpreting and understanding how that can be used Mm -hmm. when you're speaking about it yeah and i think this is why it then comes back to the issue of biblical literacy you know we grow up in our churches in our denominations and systems and so on and you won't you'll only ever hear those words of jesus about one taken one left talked about or taught about in a certain context. Yeah. And it will be often in the context that we'll believe a whole bunch of other stuff that's not true. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, Isaiah 53, I touched on this on the on that on that blog article to do with 2 Timothy. It's like, oh, the ultimate healing is has already been achieved by Jesus on the cross. Mm-hmm. Therefore you are healed now, regardless of whether or not you've got any symptoms or not. It's that yeah. kind of teaching. <laughs> yeah. That this stuff on Matthew 24 will often be in the company of that type of obvious deception and heresy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, biblical literacy is, I think, we talking about this earlier in the car, what kind of things should we be on the lookout for for people who are serious, whatever it's about. One of them is this general posture of repentance, recognising that we've not read the Bible in the way that mm-hmm. we should have done communally, and that's meant we've read read it in a very myopic way personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is why which is exactly why this appeal to subjective revelation is so dodgy. Yeah. Because it's it's rooted in corporate local church gatherings that are myopic mm-hmm. and idolatrous in this sense, which then sends people out into the privacy of their own homes in isolation to compound all these personal subjective positions of revelation. Mm-hmm. You know, this is why we're going to come to, I don't know when, but the need for there to be this type of scrutiny of scripture in a communal context where there's a, you know, a multiplicity of gifts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So a second piece of scripture, which is often used, is in First Thessalonians. And I should have written down the exact verse, but I didn't. But anyway, First Thessalonians. And it talks about when Jesus comes in the clouds that he will gather 
or rapture his people to him in the air and they will be together at his coming. Now, for predispensationalists, is that the right way of saying it? They believe that that is the rapture, which will happen pre-tribulation, so that Jesus will come, he will take his people from the earth, and they will be taken away in the secret rapture. Now, the problem with this, and I'll just go into a little bit here, but um, we're currently reading a book um, that has a variety of authors in it, but Craig Blomberg is the main author. And if you've not heard of him, he's a Bible scholar translator. I think he's done stuff in the ESV and the NIV. And he's got a really interesting chapter in his book that we'll put the link into the show notes as well. If we can remember to do that, because I can't remember the name of that either. Um, but he talks about this little passage in particular in his chapter. Um, and he makes the point that he looks at the word that is used here for this kind of gathering up, rapturing of God's people. And he looks at where else it would appear in scripture. So one example that he uses is in Acts where a group of Christians go out to meet, I think it's Paul, and to bring him back into the city. Mm-hmm. And it's used in the Roman kind of imperial understanding culturally where the the welcome party would go to meet the dignitary mm-hmm. and welcome them into the city. Accompany so them back. Yeah. It wasn't to do with the people leaving. It was to do with the people meeting and welcoming whoever it was into the city. So in this picture that Paul is using in First Thessalonians, God's people will meet him in the air because he's coming in the clouds to welcome him as king mm-hmm. on earth. Mm-hmm. So again, yeah. it's not the opposite, it's the opposite of the understanding that's been put forth by the predispensational view. And again, once again, that that understanding of that scripture has come from somebody who is um able to to drill down into what a text actually means. So in other words, the, the exegesis is of a completely different level from somebody who's mm-hmm. just appealing to a dictionary definition of something. Mm. Just for clarity, that passage in 1 Thessalonians is chapter 4, verses 15 to 17. Um, and the word you're talking about there, sweet, um, I think is verse 17, where Paul writes to the Thessalonians, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now, just a couple of other points we wanted to make. Um, and like I say, we didn't want to go into loads of things. Um, but think if if you take, for example, even just these two passages of scripture from a predispensational point of view, what happens, what will happen as understood by them is that there will essentially be two second comings of Christ. Mm-hmm. And this is where the implications of this view begin to unfold a little bit. Unravel, yeah. Yeah. So basically what they'll say is that the tribulation will happen and either at the beginning of that or at some point during, Jesus is going to secretly come to take his people away. Which is the passage I just read. And then he will come visibly. So essentially what we're saying is that there will be two comings of Christ at the end of the age. And... 
logically speaking, that is just not plainly understood in scripture. You have to really push it, push to create and do some gymnastics to create that understanding of what is happening. Paul and Peter, you know, throughout the New Testament, you, Revelation. you just see that the church is waiting for Jesus to return. Mm -hmm. There's no general understanding of there being these two comings and there being a kind of gap mm -hmm. in between. And, mm -hmm. you know, you really have to have created a, a gap and this secret idea of Jesus coming in order for that to happen, which logically, if you look objectively at scripture, does not make sense. Yeah, I mean, logic isn't the isn't the main. Well, it's, it is one of the main concerns of that, because at the end of the day, Jesus coming in the clouds at all isn't logical. M Mary conceiving by the Holy Spirit, you know, isn't logical. So it's not the the, the settling. Sorry. Plain reading of scripture yeah. is maybe what I should have said. Well, that's okay, but I mean, logic is part of it mm -hmm. because because you know we don't just leave our brains at the cross and hope for you know mm -hmm. our own personal subjective things to come true. It's it's I don't know. I just mm -hmm. it's it's more than just it's it's coming back to an understanding of scripture and that we should be able to look at the, the nonsense of there being a second and third coming of Christ yeah. before the millennium mm -hmm. and thinking does that does that tally with other passages? The, the, the little yeah. example you gave there of the word study from the chap whose name is what? Craig Blomberg. Craig Blomberg. Reminds me of what John Piper talks about in his study. He talks about concentric circles of context. Mm. Concentric circles. In other words, if you come to a difficult passage or something that doesn't quite make sense, how does John Piper study it? Now, regardless of what you may know or not know or think or not think of Piper, he loves the Bible. Mm -hmm. And anyway, he, he will get, get to a word and think, okay, well, where is that word used closest to the passage that mm -hmm. I'm studying? So the con concentric circles, so if you imagine the, the core of an apple or, or the core of a tree trunk and you kind of work out as close to that word as possible, where is that word mm. cropping up? What's the context there? What's the plain meaning there? What's the authorial intent there? You know, mm. and that, that's what he's meaning, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. That's it. Yeah. And this falls, you know, this just um, dovetails nicely with our last point, which is thinking about the general understanding of scripture, but also the New Testament in particular when it comes to this topic. And really thinking about passages of what the Christian life is like. So um, the calls, the number of calls from Jesus and for the, from the apostles mm -hmm. for endurance, yeah. the reality of persecution, the withstanding of evil, all these ideas that are throughout scripture, mm -hmm. Jesus teaching, um, Paul's letters, Peter, you know, throughout scripture. The, the psalmist, Job, you know, it, the list goes on. Yeah, and the hope for the Christian is not in being taken out or protected or removed from things. Not that God doesn't sometimes do that yeah. or protect us in certain certain ways, but that's, that is just not the reality of mm. what scripture really looks like. Yeah, it's not normative. no. It's not normative for the, for the Christian to be removed from suffering. In, in fact, it's quite the opposite. The normative standard of Scripture, New Testament and Old, is that the Christian will be taught and sanctified, Three. prepared for eternity, <laughs> yeah. in other words, prepared for the shocking, jolting reality of glory in heaven and in perfection, eternity, specifically through affliction, not despite it, 
although sometimes it is in spite of it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's that just shows the point. If you honestly read scripture and think that the normative standard is God just to bless us, heal us, restore us, for heaven to be right here now, you're not understanding scripture. No. You're not understanding God. No. I, I listened, just to finish on this point, but I listened to a whole series of teaching on summer on Revelation from a predispensational view. And at the time I just had no understanding of any of this. But the the guy who was teaching periodically throughout, you know, the series would be just he would just drop in, Aren't you so glad that we're not going to be here? And it was just it just like at that point I was beginning to understand this just doesn't make sense. Like mm. you know, what on earth is the point of God giving this amazing book of Revelation to only just say, actually, you don't need to worry about it anyway. Mm-hmm. It just mm-hmm. Yeah, and thinking of that makes me think of Jesus' own emphasis on the kingdom of heaven being accessed and realized as a child. Yeah. If you, if you don't come to me, as, as Jesus says in about an appalling paraphrase, if you don't come to me just as a child, you can't enter the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which doesn't excuse poor study. No, there's a, there's and, a and tension it, there, yeah. And, and immature kind of mm-hmm. idolatrous defending of our position that we we feel really touchy and protective and sensitive about. But ultimately, you come in the posture of... Teach me. I don't know. Please teach. Yeah. yeah please show me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How does my own personal ponchomp for this eschatology compare with the desire to hear the shepherd's voice? Mm-hmm. No child thinks... No child weighs those two things up. A child who's lost just wants to hear the father's voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Let's wrap it up. Yeah, so um, this is where we wanted to finish this particular podcast because having thought about these different things, the real main question at the end is if if you hold to this predispensational view of the end times, what are the actual real-life implications for believers who think that this is how the end is going Mm -hmm. to unravel, Mm -hmm. basically. Yeah, in other words, with all of this said and done, it's like the scene in in Friends where Ross is convinced that dinosaurs... What was it? His, atoms, atoms, uh, something. something. <laughs> Phoebe, Phoebe convinced Ross in the space of two minutes his whole worldview could be wrong, and Phoebe was like, "I can't believe you gave you get you buckled after two minutes." And Ross was just there, going, oh, "But um, anyway, it is if just say we're wrong, just say yeah. our this this um, throwing out of dispense pre mill dispensationalism is wrong. What are the implications mm. as opposed versus?" People who are throwing out endurance yeah. and being here throughout the tribulation. What what is the most dangerous implications of those two? Is that what you mean? Yeah, exactly. So if you hold this view that you're going to be taken out of any kind of tribulation and persecution, that you will not be here, then it will be awful. Mm-hmm. You will not be prepared to stand in the face of what is to come mm-hmm. if you're if basically you've assumed that Jesus is going to take you away. And yeah, whereas if you you have an understanding where Jesus, as he says, be alert, Mm -hmm. be watchful, watchful, stand firm, Mm -hmm. hold fast, as he says to the churches in Revelation, 
he who endures will whatever the the promises i can't remember mm-hmm. but whoever will endure this will mm-hmm. receive kingdoms or whatever it is and that's that's the opposing view that if you believe that god is going to mm-hmm. take you through that and be with you in it but take you through it then you will prepare differently for that understanding of the tribulation the end times and everything that that that, that will entail mm-hmm. Yeah, it's if you it was the old adage, you know, if you if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Mm-hmm. And this is, I think, a big part of maybe where we can finish today. It's like hopefully that makes sense what you've just said. It's like even even if we were just to go hands up, okay, okay, say pre mill dispensationalism is right and we're and we're saying it's Brilliant. wrong. <laughs> Exactly. Who, do, who, <laughs> like, who doesn't? Who does not want to be removed from yeah, trial? Yeah. Who know? doesn't want to be caught up in the air of Jesus secretly and then being that being yeah. out of there? Just say we're wrong and that happens. Yeah. Um, has our position of staunchly saying we need to prepare here, we need to prepare to endure, has that done any harm, mm-hmm. or has that complemented yeah. the way that that Christians are supposed to be anyway? Which is, let's be honest, that's clear. Anti-cultural. Um, and so on and so forth. You know, the world hates Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, what what's going to have been most catastrophic mm-hmm. for our, our, if you pl- if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And I think that you know that's being generous. You know, I, I don't want my my I don't want my appeal to be well. If we're wrong, then who, who, what's the lesser of two evils essentially? But can I just say, I think we should just say this on, on, on closing. I think one of the main reasons why this weight of responsibility to prepare doesn't sit with more of us more seriously is because we look at the world, and even even today, whatever the date is today, um, with the situation in, in Europe and so mm. on, you know, you see wars and rumours of wars, you see great evil, and you have to think, well, what do people think? Where do people think that evil comes from? But even with that... Um, we look at that, I think, as the, the, the kind of the thermometer mm. or the barometer of, of to what extent we should be preparing. In other words, do we think we're going to be here when the tribulation is, we're even close to the tribulation or when Jesus comes? Mm. And because often you'll look at the world and think, well, let's be honest, not, it's not likely. Mm. We, then, we, then fa- we then fail to plan for generations to come. And this is what is, this is, what is incumbent upon every single Christian Throughout every single generation, is the is the is the need to plan, to prepare mm. for these things that we're reading of in eschatological terms at the end of the eschaton, regardless of what's going on in the world. Why? Because we know it's going to happen. Why? Because we know that brothers and sisters, generationally detached from us down the road, are going to be on the earth when this happens. And so the, the the failure of the church to have planned in generations gone by is part of the reason we're having this conversation now. Is part of the reason of the mm-hmm. chaos of the church is because we've inherited mm-hmm. faulty ways of thinking about the end of the eschaton. Um, and all of that to say is is simply this, and we repeat it, and we will continue to repeat it till the day we die, or we're secretly taken up in the clouds of Jesus. Um, is that until the until the church are prepared for the return of Christ, the world are not going to be. Mm-hmm. And so it's incumbent upon all of us to prepare for these things now, whether they're in our lifetime or not, whether they're in our lifetime or not. Peace, 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 I say to you, peace. Okay, well, we're still preparing for the day when Christians are having their heads chopped off. Mm-hmm.
which is a hard thing to reconcile if you don't believe that Christians are going to be here during that type of tribulation. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's this, it's this wrong way of thinking about preparation based on the imminence of it in our mm. days or not. You know, if everybody was to tune into the news later and see Jerusalem surrounded by armies of Russia, Russia, Syria, Iran, whatever, this conglomerate of global armies surrounding Jerusalem, of course everyone's going to be on their knees, fearful of what's come upon the earth, that the priority is preparation. Yeah. But the time, that will be too late. The, now is when we're afforded the time to be preparing. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know... If we're not putting at the center of our preparation, really coming to a mature, spiritually mature and well-rounded, well-informed, communal, um, multidisciplinary, multi, you know, if we're not coming to that sense of clarity on eschatology, where we can hand on heart say, I honestly believe this is the most faithful eschatology, whether it's pre-post or amillennial, and explain and understand that from the scriptures. If we're not willing to go there, we're not serious about preparation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yes. so, so essentially, what we've done today is cleared the floor, and saying we're willing to engage with pre-post and amillennialism. We're not. We're not willing to engage with the thought that all of this this system of teaching, which comes from the mid nineteenth century, and a spurious spiritual encounter of a young girl called Mary MacDonald purported by J.N. Darby through the Brethren Church. We're not willing to base serious biblical scrutiny on something that's as as recent as that. No. If you can't trace it back to the early church, I mean, this is why people are... Sorry to go on now, but this is why people are converting to Catholicism, aren't they? Yeah. Gavin Ashenden, Michael Nazir Ali, they're converting to Catholicism... Because it traces back to something that resembles faithful apostolic faith. Yeah. I mean, J.N. Darby and Mary MacDonald in some kind of like little chapel somewhere in Glasgow. You know, it's a joke. And yet it's and yet it's throughout evangelicalism. If we can't feel the weight of that, we're just not, we're just, we're dead men walking. Yeah. So, um... We will continue with this little series um, over the next few weeks, so keep an eye out for these ones. Um, We will be moving on to looking at historic premillennialism, amillennialism and postmillennialism. I'm not quite sure in what order we're going to do this, but we will cover all three. And as Nick mentioned at the beginning, if you'd like to be involved um, in the Q&A on our Patreon there will be a link in the show notes below that you can go to to have a little look at that and anything that we've mentioned including the books and whatever will have popped into the show notes as well so you can find those for yourself there too and if there's anything else that we forget to include or if you're looking for more help with um within reason please just let us know and we'll try our best to come back to you immediately let's just pray Father, I think it's right that your people have a strong aversion to error and deceit and to attitudes of immaturity regarding eternal matters. I think it's right and it's a fruit of your spirit that we are 
not neutral on these things. We look at your life, Jesus, we look at the way you lived and the way that you died, and we, we know that that's consistent with you. We know that the indignation against sin and indignation against false teaching and flabby spiritual leaders that who have got no interest in leading the flock into truth and faithfulness, we know that you, you dealt harshly and you spoke uncompromisingly to them. You warned them. And you warn your people today, repent and do the things that you did at first, otherwise your lampstand will be removed. Thank you for the enduring warning that your word is to us. And on these matters that we want to be like children and we do come with the, after all is said and done, whatever, however things appear to our minds at whatever age or stage of life we're at, we want to come ultimately in prayer as children and as such, we want to ask for things that we don't really understand. We don't understand your kingdom. We don't understand your lordship or your kingdom rule. We don't understand the ever-increasing nature of your government and peace. But we can still pray, Lord, have your way with your people, whether historic or even demonic, entrenched positions of false teaching that have caused your people to fail to plan for there to be a complete dearth of preparation, a complete dearth and death of spiritual authority, please, mm. would you bring across denominations the rousing reality and realisation that denominations are part of the divisive problem, the chaos that there would be across denominations, regardless of tradition, a recognition of what is most faithful from your word about the end of the age and therefore how your people should be preparing today Today is the day of salvation. So Lord, we just ask, we dare to think and ask and pray, pray like children that you would do the things that we can't even imagine, mm. that we can't see a way for you to do. And yet, so I pray, Lord, for people particularly who are duped by this media, glossy type of eschatology that's been spun and buffed and mass-produced throughout the evangelical church of the West. We pray to God in heaven now in the name of Jesus that you would intervene, that you would convict, that you would shed light, that you would ultimately save your people from error, heresy, mm -hmm. deception, easy familiar living, that doesn't prepare us for your coming or for eternity beyond. And so we pray, Lord, that you'd have your way, that your word would burn. Let it be like a burning furnace in the midst of your people across the earth. And we thank you for those people who are faithful, who are teaching, who are studying, mm. who have bottomed these things out. Let us be those Berean Jews, I pray in the name of Jesus. Mm. Amen. Amen. Spirit, we just want to ask for your help um, and your guidance as we read and as we pray about these different views and understandings of the word. And we thank you that we can come knowing that your your word is living and active and that you do speak through it. But we can come knowing that this is not a dead book, that it is not unable to teach us, but spirit that you bring it to life and you reveal things in scripture to us that help bring the truth 
and that bring understanding mm. of what Jesus taught about this, Lord. And we just, we just really ask for revelation. Mm. And Lord, I just I pray for people listening, mm. just where this can often, this can often feel like a topic where people want to hold to their particular view mm. for whatever reason and. I just pray for people to to just be willing to acknowledge the possibility that they've not fully Mm. understood Mm. the view that they hold or why they've why they hold that particular view. Mm. And would you give us all the ability as we read and pray about this to come to an understanding of truthfulness about this? We ask these things, Jesus, in your name. Mm. Amen. Amen. There's some people listening who need to surrender their idolatrous attitude towards eschatology. There's a need to let go. There's a need to forsake. To place on the altar of your worship before God, the eschatologies, the theologies, the systems of retreating into personal privacy to study and to... Lord, I pray that you'd help folk listening to understand, for those who need to hear what that really means, that there needs to be the cherishing of private prayer, Mm. the cherishing of that place of refuge but at the same time there needs also to be true surrender in that place from the ways that we have I think poured onto ourselves responsibility to study in a way that we're not able to to exegete and to communicate in a way that we're not called to the way in a way that we're not able to often perhaps because of the ways we've been let down by those who should have done so Lord, I just pray for a today, particularly for those who are gripping white knuckled onto a certain kind and a certain variant of eschatology that where a miss is as good as a mile, that you would bring a softening to heart and mind that would simply allow them, just like a child, to let go. And that in that place of worshipful surrender by your spirit, that you'd pour into their lives, pour into their mind, pour into that place of private study, genuine conviction, genuine illumination, a genuine opening of mind to understand the scriptures, just like Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus. So Lord, I pray against the work of the enemy for those who need to hear that today and that there would be great joy and shalom and testimony. In the precious name of Jesus, by your spirit, Lord, we pray for your Father, Mm. for your glory. Amen. Amen.